We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello, everyone. Welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own. We are offering you a unique perspective from both the psychological and spiritual world at the same time. My name is Callie Alpert here in the central Hudson Valley in New York with my dear friend, co-host, and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. Oh, it's great to see you again. Great to see you as well. It's only been about 24 hours. (laughs) I know. We have our own little virtual planet that's often inhabited, yes. You know, I'm so glad we're having the show today, Mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm falling apart. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Your segues are becoming vaudevillian on some level. We're going to have to talk about that. Um, So today we're going to continue with our holiday series that'll take us through to the end of the year to close out 2021, the legendary personal growth books to get you through the holidays. And tonight we are talking about one of our favorites, When Things Fall Apart by our beloved Pema Chodron. And we're going to talk about her Buddhist wisdom so this is a classic personal growth bestseller by Pema Chodron, who is a Buddhist nun and teacher, and it offers a radical reframe that may turn all the feelings and issues we deem to be so difficult into opportunities for growth hmm. through leaning into, instead of running away from fear, pain, and challenges, we have an opportunity to make friends with the tough stuff and open up our hearts to joy in ways we haven't imagined. So we're going to talk about how Pema has influenced us. We're going to share our take on this Buddhist perspective, and we're going to offer some steps to help you transmute transmute your suffering into ease, or at least we're going to strive to do so. Um, I hope you can do that for me. (laughs) I was hoping the same the other way around. Okay. So do you remember the first time you read this book? No, but... (laughs) It was many. I don't even remember when it came out. You know, I should have checked actually the publishing. I remember the first time I read it was right around 1999, 2000. Right. I don't know how far out that was from the book actually being released. I'm going to have to check that. We'll check that during the You know, it was a shocking title. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an eye-opening title. Mm, Because not attractive. I mean, kind of, it really turns things on its head. It's not the attractive you know, over, over the top positive thinking title that we, people think sells a lot of books. It was like, let's get to bliss Mm -hmm. in 10 easy lessons. Exactly. exactly. This is the fact that your life is falling apart and you better recognize it quickly Mm -hmm. and you better do something about it because it's a very human experience. And we are all falling apart at different times, right? Right. The first time I read this book, like I said, it was right around 2000. I, um, as a placement in my mind uh, on the timeline, I had just moved back from Los Angeles. I needed to, I I was ready to move back from Los Angeles to New York City. I'd lived there for nine years and I didn't want it to be a 10 year chapter at that time. Somehow that was like a significant thing. Although now I love being in Los Angeles again. Um, and I was also trying to leave a relationship where I really felt like I had to extricate myself and leave the state in order for it to happen like smoothly. Um, so I read this book. I can't even remember how I found my, my way to it, but that's magical how that happens and books sort of fall off shelves or people bring them to you at the time when you most need them. And I remember it being such a radical concept. Um, the idea that the first thing that I learned from it 
was like, oh, wow, I can feel things like anger and negative feelings and it's okay. Like that just to give them some acknowledgement and acceptance without even getting into the deeper pieces of this quite yet. And we will be walking through the tenets of the book today um, was just so refreshing and almost relaxing in some way. Yes. Somebody gives you permission. Yeah. It was like permission to, um, and also just the um, sort of the prescription that, oh, wow, this can help just by saying, Mm -hmm. you know what? I feel really lousy today. I'm really angry. I'm really sad. Like that was my first sort of streamlined um, interpretation. And my interpretation was having grown up in the transcendental meditation movement Mm -hmm. and many other spiritual movements, the idea that you could even talk about negative emotional recycling energy was big for me, right? Mm -hmm. Big for me in a way. I mean, obviously, as a psychotherapist, I'm working with that energy all the time. But again, the permission that she gave people, the fact that you want to be receptive to these negative, difficult, fearful things and not push them away, not run away from them and actually learn how to absorb them, deal with them, heal them, reconcile with them. It was a beautiful moment. Definitely. I recently heard the term toxic positivity. Do you know that term? Toxic positivity came out a week ago in the New York Times. Okay, so I'm a little behind the curve. I am... I heard it from uh, a colleague who referenced it during a meeting. And I thought, I mean, I knew I understood what it meant, but I wasn't familiar with it as a term. And it's important to think about because we're so conditioned, mm. society so can think positively, get over it, you'll be fine. There's a silver lining, it's meant to be. And this turned all of that, even if this term wasn't coined quite then, right. um, on its head. Right. So, yeah, I really just the idea of leaning in, you know, I guess um, one of the one of the major overarching tenets, too, is the, you know, um, attachment versus aversion thing. Right. Running toward things that bring us um, pleasure pleasure and running away from and avoiding things that bring us pain. And that was one of the sort of like overall overarching concepts to even identify that was Mm. for me huge. Right. To be able to separate them out. Right. Really important stuff. Yeah. So I'm happy we're talking about this today. And um, what you said before was pretty interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That um, it, it was it it wasn't something we really talked about. The idea of toxic positivity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're all reaching for the stars. And often we're standing in the mud, but we don't look at our boots. We kept looking at the sky. Mm-hmm. And that, that whole idea is that you're only living a partial life. Mm. And that there's a lotus flower awaiting you in the mud. <laughs> right. I thought I'd add that as well, right? I like it. It's kind of all part of it's all connected. <laughs> Do you want to share your Thich Nhat Hanh? idea about the um, full participation Buddhism? Well, you know, Han, for people who don't know, um, you know, he had a long and illustrious life. He's sick right now. And he's about, I think he's about 94. And he's been a while. He's been, he's been ill, right? Mm -hmm. But he, he does his illness with a certain kind of cheerfulness. Mm. He was originally a Buddhist and still is a Buddhist monk, but it was a journalist during the Vietnam War. Right. And um, what I wanted to say about him, he taught me in a number of his books about this concept called full participation Buddhism. And I went, what is that? What is full participation? And full participation meant that You were present with whatever the moment was bringing, either internally or externally. You said yes to it. 
talked about this a few weeks ago. We say yes to the moment, yes to the mood, yes to the fear, and kind of learn to ride with it. And if we learn to ride with it, it passes through much more quickly. Because the more we feed it, this is the expression that I still can't remember. I wanted to say it yeah. again, and I couldn't remember it during our meeting either. Um, but basically, what you what you put your attention toward gets gets fed and and thickens up, whether it's you know to your favor or to your disadvantage, right? Yeah. Um, and that if you reject or repress or resist, it just creates more dense energy that makes it harder to move through it, makes it harder to um, to flourish or to get to the places that you want to get to. Um, and very significantly way more easily said than done. So here we're setting up sort of the overarching concepts that are important to, to talk about today. And then hopefully we can offer some ways to actually work our way through these things. Because again, everything you're describing is, you know, when you're in the middle of whatever deep pain, catastrophic, dramatic circumstances, to say, oh, this feels good. Not even this feels good, but oh, I accept this. Or yes, I'm going. I'm going to say yes to this. Is that's an art form that takes a lot of lifetimes for many. One thing you don't know is that uh, during the Vietnam War, his work was so outstanding that Martin Luther King nominated him for the Nobel Prize. Ah, love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so. I've, I've been doing this late into our show lately, but I do want to say if anybody would like to call, join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you, share any stories, tell us your ideas about the book. Um, if you have read it, the number is 816-251-3555. So let's start breaking down. You want to talk about some of the main sort of tenets of the book? I mean, there's so much. It's just such a delicious and special book that now I should probably reread again because we're talking about it. Um, the first one has to do with becoming intimate with fear and learning to walk toward fear versus running from it mm -hmm. and kind of restating what we just talked about, which is that running away from it feeds it. And as you say, makes you a fugitive, <laughs> which I love, right? Kind of makes you fall more prey to it the further you try to run from it. Because I was a fugitive. Yeah, when Have was you been time? a fugitive? I would say that I am very good at being a fugitive of my fear, yeah. I would look in, I would be driving my car, look in the rearview mirror and see this thing chasing me. What was chasing you? My fear. Mm -hmm. it could, I could not outrun it. Mm -hmm. And if I tried to outrun it, it would... Uh, course correct and wake me up at three in the morning mm -hmm. and go hey by the way mm -hmm. i'm after wake you up. right yeah right but the way you're talking about it is i think um noteworthy here too because we always um we we've had a lot of conversations about the idea of separating these pieces out and recognizing them as separate energies so that you know, we're not dictated, none of us are dictated by any one particular thing or one particular energy or piece of us or shadow or whatever terminology you want to use, right? We're a whole conglomerate, conglomeration, confluence of different parts. And so if you can even look at the idea of fear as this other thing, be, you know, this other thing or being or entity that's energy that's a part of you, it's kind of the first step in being able to look at it from a different perspective, I think. Yeah, awareness is always the beginning of waking up. So if you want to wake up, and some people don't. <laughs> yeah, there's times where I envy them. Right? And there have been <laughs> yeah. times in my life that I had no desire to wake up. Mm -hmm. I wanted to stay asleep. I wanted to stay angry. I wanted to stay jealous. And it was like, no interest. I'm right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but it's more, you... more familiar. If you're well-trained, if you're well-trained in things like fear and negative narratives and things that get in your way, it becomes very familiar and very safe to stay in that zone. I know it really well. And that's a that becomes your reality. That reality dominates you. There, don't seem, there, there doesn't seem to be any other reality available. And you get stuck. And usually if you get stuck too long, uh, you're probably going to have to use medication to get out of it. Mm 
or weed or alcohol or something because you're not doing the work. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's not fun. No, it isn't. And it can also be the most beautiful thing when you start to unpack this stuff. And every time that I remember to get my, you know, my uh, chutzpah, my cojones in order to face whatever is bugging me on a particular day or week or whatever and really go deep. Because um, a lot of times I'm not in the mood, but now, you know, I mean, I, I know that I have to because that's how right. I'm made. And then once you walk through it, it's the most amazing thing. Like you really do feel an energy of like levity around you and you feel like you've turned a corner. And sometimes it could just be in one meditation. It doesn't have to be this whole like arduous thing. Um, but it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So before we take our first caller, what else do we want to say about fear? Um, you know, there's often, again, this has almost become a cliche that there's really only two emotions, fear and love, you know, that there's, there's nothing really, there's nothing else. You're either in one or you're in the other. Um, if you're not in love, you're in fear. I think it's also really important and helpful to point out that there's so many nuances and layers. So it's not about fear of heights or jumping out of an airplane or being, you know, public speaking or being around somebody that you don't want to be around or you're uncomfortable with. I mean, those are all part of it, but it comes in so many subtle nuances. Like, you know, the ones that I'm digging into deeper now are, um, for as much as I can be very positive and hopeful and optimistic and trusting in a higher realm, as you well know, I have a lot of um, just little parts of me that still have a fear of things not working out, um, of not becoming totally free of challenges, you know, and so it's very helpful just to recognize it. That's like the first step is just to recognize it and then allow it to exist. Exactly. It can be that simple. So, shall we take a call? Okay. Caller, hi, are you there? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Hi, we can hear you. What's your name and where are you calling from? Thanks for calling uh, today. My name is Nikki, and I'm calling from San Diego. Hi, Nikki. Are you familiar with Show John's book? You know, I'm not, but I, but I would like to now read it for sure. Um, and the t- to me, the title is very actually comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like I have been dealing with uh, toxic positivity. I, I've heard of that now for, for, I don't know, at least six months. I'm around a lot of people that have had trauma and a lot of groups, and so toxic positivity, and there's something else called, I don't know if you know the term, spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one we're very familiar with, actually. We've, okay. We've talked about I think that. they are mm-hmm. buddies. They're similar. I'm not sure, yeah. but I think those two are kind of buddies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Having had and having still everything fall apart, there is such a um, aloneness in it. So to me, that title even feels comforting, like because it's an acknowledgement, it's a reality, mm-hmm. it's a validation. For me, I guess in anything, the deepest pain is like feeling alone in yes. whatever. So just knowing, okay, it's real. There's other people. Things do fall apart. So I, I I'm, I'm excited about reading it, even though it's from a while ago. I feel like in the last. For a long time now it's not been okay to just say the truth of how you feel like mm-hmm. you have to sort of whisper and wink at someone and go i'm feeling great wink wink because god forbid law of attraction hears you <laughs> you know so yeah i know no, you can get he gets really can get caught up and you know the more you get into the deep all the the books <laughs> and the ideas and the philosophies and the spiritual ride it, you can get really caught up danielle laporte talks beautifully about this like where you can get a little over spiritualized out like where you're you know, touching all these different touch spiritual touch points and can drive you sort of bonkers. Um, yeah. So, what is the name of that person? Danielle? Is that uh, Danielle? Oh, Dan- Danielle Laporte, who is another like spiritual okay. warrior, goddess, writer, okay. poet, um, spiritual influencer. Yeah. And she talks beautifully about that. Her last book, which was is now at least a year or two old, is about that sort of getting diluted with all the spiritual practices and having to give yourself a break. Actually, I remember yeah, I that one. I remember that one of my clients came in one day and said, "I'm so afraid of having a single negative thought." Mm-hmm. And and then um, I said, "I think there's a lot of wiggle room in the universe <laughs> because if you're from in L.A. and you go on the freeway at rush hour, can you imagine all the negative thoughts?" 
there would be so many negative thoughts during gridlock that the world itself would blow up. <laughs> That's good. And so we've got wiggle room. <laughs> so do you have a question or a comment, Nikki, about your relationship with um, speaking the truth that might be the ones that people are not as apt for apt to hear or want to hear? Well, yeah, I mean, I literally have had, I won't take the time to go into details, but I've just had literally a lot of, tra- a ton of tragedy and loss and, mm. you know, severe stuff, my husband dying suddenly and things like that. And so when people, for me, I think that, yeah, the guilt, like what Steve just shared, the fear, the guilt to say something, no, now you're being negative or the fear that now you're, you know, you're putting a down payment on something negative and, you know, and, and that. I don't know, but it feels like it's just pushing things down, bearing them. And I think that, you know, being able to share something, say the truth of at least how you feel in the moment, being heard for me, understood, you know, not alone. And then it can pass, hopefully. But there's there's like loss and then there's secondary pain and loss when it feels like there's nowhere for you to share that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, once I, I had talked to Steve long ago and, I don't know if I should say this, but he said he's going to sound horrible, but it was the most comforting thing because when people just try to go, oh, time will heal and you'll be better and you're lucky you had that and all these other things people say, I find that it makes it more painful. And Mm -hmm. Steve said something like, sorry, Steve, if I misquote you or it sounds wrong, but he said something like, you know, whatever, horrible, tragic things happen every day, all the time, everywhere to everyone. And that, believe it or not, I didn't say it the way he did, but it was sort of this comfort in a way mm-hmm. that it isn't just me and it's not just my tragedy, you know, and I'm not alone in it. So right. I don't it's know. Human, I just yeah. love this topic because, yeah. yeah, thank you. That It's the human condition. You know, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, because we're all, you know, we're such proponents, obviously, of airing true feelings and having a safe place to be vulnerable. That's like one of my greatest missions in life is to make that safe space for people mm-hmm. and to be and to and to model that myself um it's not very popular tack often it's not something that people want to hear no. but i also think there's i think there's a fine line also often between owning your truths and speaking your truths and also picking and choosing where they're going to be best received and then the next part mm-hmm. of that trajectory which is when you stay caught in that when you stay caught in those narratives and then those become the defining um, storylines in your life. And I'm not sure that I have anything smart to say about how to separate those out, but I do think it's important to note that distinction. I was actually yeah, going to, I was actually going to bring that up. So what happens is the idea of full participation from Tit Not Han was that you experience things fully, but in experiencing things fully, you're actually allowing them to go. Mm-hmm. Right, to move mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Because what you're saying, Callie, is so important. Where people get hung up is that these thoughts and feelings become narratives. To the degree that they can become a religion, to the degree that they impact your physiology, to the degree that you can get sick. Right. And I'm, I'm not, again, it's this very delicate balance Mm -hmm. between experience and avoidance. Right. So I'm not talking about avoidance. I'm talking about fully experiencing your feelings and knowing that if you keep repeating them ad infinitum, it's not healthy. Right. Because that concretizes them too. Right. I think there's a big distinction here. That's no, that's, um, that's, that's worth noting, which has to do with like what you just described kind of letting it wash over you, walk Mm -hmm. through it and soften versus giving it too much space in your mind to concretize it where it gets into your body and becomes just this dense mass of definition. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's an important distinction. And uh, but thank you for bringing it up, Nikki. And we highly recommend this book. Pema is a beautiful, legendary, special teacher. And the other thing that's so beautiful about this book is that it's still, to my memory, one of the least like non-denominational, and I say that not from like the literal perspective, but um, how do I put this? There's just something very like clean about it. There's not a lot of mm. like spiritual ease or like clinging to certain vernacular. 
you know, it's very gentle and very human and extremely accessible and approachable. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. So we highly recommend it. Thank mm. you so much for joining us today. Good review. <laughs> That's I'm going to get kickbacks now from Pema and, um, and, um, and her uh, monastery. Thank you, Nikki. No, I'm not. Um, so we're going to move in a moment to one of the next tenets, which is the idea of full presence. It's sort of um, harkening back to what you said about Thich Nhat Hanh and the idea of full participation. Um, so the full presence has to do with being comfortable in the groundlessness and in the vulnerability and in the uncertainty of so much of what life presents for us. Um, the idea that everything is transitory, the idea that there really is nothing to hold on to truly in the most pure fundamental way, whether it's our identity, our relationships, our material possessions, our family, the only thing really that we have um, to hold on to is the deepest part of our essence. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to ask you to try that on for size. And when we come back, we're going to talk more fully about full presence. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hasenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. My name is Callie Alpert. I'm here with Steve Hassenberg. And tonight we are continuing our series on the legendary personal growth books to help get you through the holidays. And we're focusing on When Things Fall Apart by our beloved Pema Chodron, a seminal, beautiful, internationally acclaimed book having to do with really the simple version is leaning into the things that feel like shite, right? Um so we talked a little bit about, um, we have a bunch of tenets to go through, but we'll see how many we get through. They're all valuable, so we don't have to go through each one of them. But first we were talking about becoming intimate with fear and just the idea of recognizing fear in yourself and trying to create some space between you observing it and, and it so that you can get to know it a little bit better. Um, and now we're talking about the idea of full presence and what full presence means, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, go ahead. Tell me what full presence means to you. Well, full, full presence means that your mind is extremely quiet, right? I think Alan Watts came up with a great piece on this. Mm -hmm. He said, sometimes if I say to you, concentrate as hard as you can, <laughs> and then you try to concentrate and get all that stuff in the mind going, but it's really about becoming still mm. and if you're still you'll be able to concentrate perfectly so presence is a, a, a lack of intervening thoughts mm -hmm. uh, a lovely stillness like on a lake at night with a full moon coming down reflected <laughs> in the water it's kind of what's happening here. Didn't I? I mean, that's sort of you're being literal. That is what ha what's happening over here in my backyard today. On the in, it's called the mini a micro moon. Did you know that? A beaver moon, which I got a little. I was like, from. what is a beaver? <laughs> I guess it's when the beaver. <laughs> yeah, when they get. What? What do they do? They hibernate. <laughs> well, I think it was historically had to do number one time of year when the when trappers were looking for them for their pelts before yeah. winter. And then I also think it had something to do with the, um, to see, I just read about this the other day, something to do with them like being all ready and geared up to kind of go underground for winter. But I can't remember if I'm making that part up or not. Whether you are or not, it sounds perfect. You like it? Yeah. 
Um, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. So, I was just like, yeah, you're spying on me again. So presence is stillness. Mm -hmm. The mind is still. The mind is clear. The body is at peace. And you have full receptivity and an open heart. And to get there. Yes. Because again, you know, we humans are not conditioned. Our minds can be very loud and noisy and busy. Yes. And so the goal then is to try to create whatever kind of space you can to let the magic in, right? Yep. Um, the other piece of this too with full presence has to do with, um, I think the more you get in touch with your inner essence, and emptiness and formlessness start to take up more space, if that's not too much, too oxymoronic, um, mm. that you can become more comfortable with a sense of groundlessness. You're not as defined by the things that define us every day, who I'm in relationship with, where I work, what my title is, how much money I make, the car I drive, my philosophies, my politics, my religion, like anything that we're attached to that makes us feel um, safe and tethered in a good way and defined because um, I think a lot of us are conditioned to feel like that is what gives us grounding. Um, so this is suggesting that we play with the idea before you have to, because it's often when people come to this is when things, when there's crisis and when there's difficulties and when things get stripped away, all the things I just mentioned get taken away from us. That's often when we pick up these books, right? Um, is to play with the idea of what it would, who you are without all those definitions and labels and to dig a little bit deeper to find that empty space that you're describing. Um, uh, I think that's a big part of what Pema is suggesting in this book. Are you suggesting Probably. that being grounded is actually being groundless? I would say that um, <laughs> I agree with you, Your Honor. Yes. Yeah. Um, Right. I mean, that is that is what we're saying. I love your, you know, playing with the words, but um, but yes, I think that is what she's suggesting. Right. And what we're playing with here. Yeah. So, what does groundless really mean? As silence takes over the radio waves. <laughs> right. Well, you're asking me to you're asking me to really give you an answer. I know. Um, what does groundless mean to you? I'll tell you what it means to me. In this context, it means all of the, you know, the things that I said as I aspire to be wise and talking about it, which is not being attached to the things that we think keep us safe and defined and give us a sense of identity. Yeah. That said, do I adhere to that and succeed in that thinking every day? No, not at all. In fact, I feel like often in the last bunch of years when a lot of, when I haven't had a lot of the usual basic things that people define themselves by. Uh -huh. um, and I've tried to dig deeper and do deeper inner work and gotten much better at that at getting in touch with my true and essence and using that as a grounding. There's still a part of me that gets wildly frustrated that there aren't more external things around me that I can kind of check boxes to, you know, after a while it's like, Oh, the spiritual stuff and this, you know, uh, um, the aspirational spirituality piece is exhausting sometimes. Right. So that's my true answer. That's my honest answer is that that's a work in progress always for me. And then there's the answer of like in the purest form, I do think that, that that's what, what it means. I think that groundless is grounded. So uh, I agree with everything you've said mm -hmm. and I will follow you. And, um, the the other way uh, the other way of thinking about it is that at the essence of the universe which we are part of is the state of beingness and that beingness is without form it's invisible that's why they used to have mystery schools because I love that the, term the mystery don't school. you I love that yeah i love that i know you've participated in a lot of mystery school actually i have yeah and so the idea is that life is a mystery and the biggest mystery is that this what we're calling groundlessness is the ground for all things mm. 
It's the essence, it's the core, it's the, the foundation, and yet it's invisible. You can never touch it. You can't burn it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You can't smoke it. You can't smoke it, but it informs everything. Mm. That's the Ram Dass, um, you know, the mantra of love, serve, and remember. It's the remembering piece. That's it's right. The fact that that's the sort of stardust and beauty and love and source that light that we came from. And we do a really good job of forgetting when we take this human form. We do. So, um, but yes, I think it's a beautiful concept. I do believe it. I feel like it's very, very true. And getting there is a process of shedding layers and emptying out and continually letting go of all these things that we think uh, define us as human beings to get more toward that, that groundlessness, right? Um, Did you want to talk about your Sanskrit word, shunyata? Do I, uh, the shunyata is a great word. Yeah. Because, um, when people talk about Buddhism, they always talk about emptiness. Right. Never made a lot of sense to me. I didn't want to be empty. It's like an empty gas tank. <laughs> and I, I wanted to be full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so shanyaka is formlessness. That's the, a different way of thinking about it. It's without form, but it's full. You have a full gas tank, which is formless, rather than an empty tank, you know? Yeah, it's like a full tank with air in it. So it's funny, I'm just coming up with really bad analogies (laughs) just to ground them. But go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Right. So the way I think about this is that the way I describe this essence, the essence is fullness. It's responsible for all of life. It is the energy of life. It animates us. It is the creativity. It is the God source. It is our higher spirit. And it's formless, invisible. Mm. How well do you know formlessness? Because I do like your stories. How well do I know formlessness? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like I've... I'm trying to think of the last time I felt it I've definitely felt like stripped away to the core not in pleasant ways but like you know where I've been in whatever challenging situation where I feel like I don't feel tethered in the external ways that I want to and then you have to dig deeper to get like tethered and grounded in yourself I guess there's a formlessness in that absolutely Um, but it's not my north it's not my natural state it's my aspirational state it's not my natural state for sure Anyway, so we moved about four weeks ago, five weeks mm-hmm. ago. And you know how moves are. They're totally disorienting and discombobulating. And I was feeling really tired and out of it and a little angry and I didn't want to move. And I went to bed and I felt old and <laughs> there we were. And I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and nobody woke up which meant there was no me anymore. And my experience was that I had never been born. I had never died. And all I was aware of was an infinite illumination that went on forever. And I was in that state for about 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And there was no, there was nothing else. There was no world. It was just illumination. And I fell asleep. And that's not induced by anything except spirit. Right. Right. Um, It was a gift. Right. And it's also a, um, it is a, it's, it's a state that often people induce in different ways (laughs) using, you know, whatever, I mean, high states of meditation obviously is, is a way to go, but people, it's also what people describe when they break barriers using um, psychedelic therapy, et cetera. Um, And so would you describe that as formlessness and did it stay with you? It's totally formless. It's totally groundless. And uh, well, it didn't, I, I actually was thinking when I woke up that morning, 
it was very, very present with me. And I was thinking, could I actually live this way? Mm. Because the vastness was incomprehensible. Uh, and I thought, how would I even be in my body? How can I be that and this? Mm. Would it be possible? Interesting. That's why it happened in the middle of the night. Right. So as much as, you know, the two of us are extremely interested in feeling those states and getting to those higher states, that's a really interesting, like you, and you've had, you have plenty of stories where you've experienced this kind of thing. And yet that's a really powerful question. But all this to say, to circle back to where we are with Pema, um, what a beautiful frame of reference and what a beautiful description of experiencing formlessness from a high state of consciousness. That's really very special to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, one of the next tenets is, uh, let's see, which one should we go to? That's a little different from what we've talked about. Um, this is sort of going back to the first Buddhist noble truth, the idea that um, suffering is inevitable and that everything is transitory, right? The first noble truth in Buddhism being that the greatest human suffering comes from attachment to that which is transitory, so kind of talking about what we were stating earlier, um, the more we are attached to even the comfort, you know, the comfort of our house and the comfort of our relationships and all the things that are very important um, for, for we humans, that if you're going to at least try to adopt some of this philosophy almost before you have to, it's a, it's a helpful practice to get in touch with just even identifying where your attachments are really. Right. That's Absolutely. I mean, that's certainly the first step. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the probably one of the central pieces of Buddhism is non-attachment, non-aversion. And right, I hope the middle wave of neutrality, the middle path, mm -hmm. right. So you're not necessarily grasping, you're not grasping too hard, you're not white knuckling, <laughs> and you're not running away too fast. As Titnat Han said, full participation, right? I, I have to say this because you laughed about it. My mother was a half Buddhist. <laughs> All right. We, yeah, during the break, we were talking about this. Go ahead. My mother was a half Buddhist because she always used to say life is a struggle. Life is suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. And I got the same thing from my Jewish mother in New Jersey also, which is where you had your Jewish mother in New Jersey. Which where did is, she say? Um, she Life is hard. Life's not fair. Life is hard. So we're right. joking. That's like, it's a very quintessential sort of Jewish stereotypic thing from older generations. And yet maybe in some ways there's a little piece of it that it was a little Buddhist, a little Jubu as, as people would say, right. Like kind of a, a combination, a hybrid, even right. though, you know, for my, in my family, it wasn't, it was about, you know, quell your, um, your idealism and tamp it down because, you know, this ride's not easy. It wasn't about the extra step that we're speaking of today, which is to make friends with it and to find it as a, um, a reassuring sort of permission slip to be okay with things that are hard. We didn't get and, to that and, step. And if we go back to why Buddha left his father's kingdom, his father was a king and he was a prince. And the reason he left was because he wanted to understand how to overcome old age, sickness, and death. Oh, right. Nice. That Isn't that interesting? It. Yeah, that's really cool. That humanizes it a lot. Yeah. Humanizes that story. That's why he went on his quest. Mm. The other piece of this, too, is to, um, first of all, to, you know, just to accept the idea that suffering is inevitable and also to try to be conscious of when we're feeling victimized or punished to try to reframe that so it's not like something life is happening to us, right? But kind of happening through us. Um, that our soul creates these moments to help us overcome our fears. That's something we talk about a lot. That's not, that's more, I guess, Vedic thing than it is a Buddhist thing. But the idea- Yeah, that, that's more shock. Vedic. Right. Right? Yeah. And so we put this in perspective 
Buddhism occurred, the Buddha arrived about 500 years before Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the Vedic arrived about 2,000 years before Buddha. It's ancient stuff. Right? Yeah. The Vedic priests were actually very angry at the Buddha. Because he wanted to, this is amazing, 500 years ago, uh, 500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, he was ordaining women to be Buddhist priests and outcasts to be Buddhist priests. Oh, wow. And I mean, talk about openness. But what happened because Buddhism, in all due respect, became a lineage of real kind of patriarchy. It did, but it didn't start that way. Interesting. And and the Vedic priests at the time were so angry with him for doing that, that they buried a dead body on his property and said that that, that dead body was because of him and he caused the murder. Oh, wow. Wow, that's interesting. I had no, I never heard this before. That's yeah. Really cool. yeah. So they wanted to unload him pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so how does that, so let's bring that back to where we yeah. are in terms of like the um, Pema's book and, um, and our kind of <laughs> offering. How does that circle back, do you think? That's good. How do you want to bring it back? Yeah, no, I'm asking you how you want oh, to Oh, you are? Yeah. Um, I'm bringing it back because what Buddha learned was that, and this is beautiful, at the, (laughs) this is such a great story, because when he sat under the Bodhi tree, Mm -hmm. he made this decision that he was sitting there until his liberation or his death. Right. And then what ensued after that was that every, that's what we're talking about today, every difficult feeling, every jealousy, every greed, every fear came to him in different forms. And because he sat through all of them, including his own death, he attained liberation. And including being pelted by arrows. That's... (laughs) That turned into flowers right yes that was mara mara was the last one to come she's the goddess of death and she had an army and the army had flaming arrows and they all landed around the buddha didn't touch him Mm -hmm. and he sat through it Mm -hmm. and attained his liberation so what a beautiful metaphor. I mean, first, obviously, first, it's such a beautiful, historic and important story. And second of all, what a beautiful metaphor for all of us to sort of think about, because all of these things that happen in our daily life feel like poison arrows. Don't they? Yeah. And if you could just sit in the stillness, ultimately, they can turn into beautiful flowers. They bloom. Yeah. Every every difficult thing finally blooms. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, we always say this, I always say this with the disclaimers that we don't want to Pollyanna it up too much over, you know, around here um, or polish or minimize difficulties. But ultimately, you know, this this is all based on very ancient um, wisdom tradition and and it's true. Right. And so just to try to, you know, try to adopt little bits and pieces of it can be a really powerful and helpful thing. Um. So I'm trying to think if we have, before we get to our action steps, do we have room to maybe squeeze in another one just very quickly? Um, Let's see. We can't be present if our stories are running rampant. So we did talk about that earlier, the noise of the mind. But fundamental to most spiritual practices is the idea of putting the mind aside and trying to find more distance um, between our soul, our spirit, and our narratives that are running rampant in our heads, right? Yep. You said the story of God is not the experience of God, which I love. Can you explain that really quickly? And then we'll get to our action steps. Yeah, this comes from uh, communication theory and psychology, not about God. They talk about the map is not the territory, Mm. right? So if you're looking at a map and you understand it all, you're not walking on the earth. In the same way, 
we all talk about God, but the actual experience of God is a extraordinary experience. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It takes people to their knees. It pushes people off of horses. Lightning comes. All kinds of things happen. And that's so different than talking about God. Mm, beautiful. Love that. Um, so let's get to some of our action steps. First, we're going to um, ask that you remember a time when, when your life seemed to be falling apart. But in retrospect, you were you became aware that it was really falling together and simply just replay that from the point of view of a rearview mirror and sort of give yourself permission to revisit that chapter in your life as a way to give you a hope or belief system that these sorts of these formulas work. It's just very hard to remember them when we're in the middle of our challenges. Second one, lean into the discomfort of life. Try to recognize maybe a fear that you're even feeling today or this week that you've been avoiding. Is there something that you can lean into? And lean into doesn't mean you have to conquer it or perfect it or get over it. It just means you get to know it a little bit better rather than tightening up and resisting and kind of working, you know, uh, trying to run away from it. And finally, recognize that life is difficult and tragic and full of pleasure and pain and cut yourself a break. Practice self-compassion. Try to teach yourself, treat yourself the way you would your best friend when they're suffering and just take five or 10 minutes a day, once a day for, as Steve calls it, a kindness retreat, a self-compassion kindness retreat. So to repeat those in honor of our beloved Pema Chojan, um, number one, remember a time when your life seemed to be falling apart and recognize or how you recognize thereafter that it was really falling together. Replay that from the point of view of the rear view mirror. Secondly, lean into the discomfort of life. Maybe think about a fear that's on your mind or in your heart, even this week, small or big, and just get to know it a little bit better. Realize that you've been avoiding it and maybe try to find a new way to lean into it. You don't even have to commit to leaning in. You can just play with that for a few minutes. And then if you hate it, go back to, whatever relationship you had with it. Um, And thirdly, life is difficult. It's fine to acknowledge that. It's full of pleasure and pain. And we're suggesting that we all remember to cut ourselves a break, be your own best friend, treat yourself as kindly as you would your, your best friend and take five to 10 minutes a day for a little kindness retreat. So with that, number one, we want to honor this book and Pema Chodron, When Things Fall Apart. Um, we want to thank everybody for joining us today. You can find this podcast on Unity Online Radio. You can find us on Instagram at One Soul Radio, on Facebook at One Soul Radio Podcast. Please engage with us. Let us know things you'd like us to talk about going forward. Next week, in honor of the holiday season, we are going to be talking about gratitude as good medicine We're wishing everybody a beautiful ramp up to the holiday season and we will see you and talk to you soon. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.